I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, Mm -hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Trevor Robertson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Um, So I'd love to start at the very beginning and tell me, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah, well, like most Nazarenes that I've met over the years, uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up at the Church of the Nazarene, which was kind of the big hitter back in the 80s when it came to uh, Christian churches, particularly evangelical churches in town. Nice. And um, yeah, and grew up, had a, had a giant church, you know, it was running, I don't know, 2000 or so when oh, I was growing wow. up. Oh, like, wow. Like, actually, like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Our, so we had, we had a giant children's program and then, you know, middle school and, and high school youth groups were off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, did all of the, all the great stuff, you know, youth trips and uh, snacks Sunday night after church and just, mm-hmm. you know, all the great things that you would want for um, a youth of the 80s and 90s to have while they were growing up. Love that. And then, um, yeah, just kind of stuck around, didn't know any better uh, or different. It was just kind of the way it was growing up. Went so- to Northwest Nazarene University. Yeah. yeah. Were both your parents raised Nazarene? Is that how you guys ended up? No, my, um, my parents were not Nazarene. They, they came to the church, like, uh, a lot of young couples, uh, mm-hmm. in the eighties just had friends that were going and wanted a place as soon as they started having kids, mm-hmm. in the church. And, uh, and that was kind of the, the hop in place back then. So they jumped nice. in and, and yeah, they were part of a really awesome, uh, it wasn't a small group back then. It was an actual like Sunday school class. Sure. Uh, and, you know, had a name, Maranatha, and it was really cool. And uh, went to the lake during the summers as a, you know, I mean, it was huge. I mean, it was, it was probably like 110, 130 um, young adults. And then they it's all like started having kids. church by itself. Yeah, no, l- legitimately, it was, it was larger than the church that I was pastoring right before uh, I left the ministry. Wow, that's amazing. And they, they had Bible studies that broke out of their Sunday school class. Wow. Um, yeah, which it was, a, it, was a, it was a wonderful way to grow up uh, in the church. Oh, I love that. Um, so kind of tell me about the, the call to ministry for you. Where, where did that start? Man, yeah, so as a kid... Um, Growing up in the youth group and everything, I, I was I was pretty gung ho in high school, and um, 
trying to figure out what to do with my life, like all of us Mm -hmm. do in, in high school. Mm -hmm. And my, my grandfather and my dad were both Marines. And so I had this, um, I had this daydream of being a Marine Corps sniper, um, but being, yeah, or, or flying, um, flying Hornets for Mm. Marine Corps, but being six foot seven, that didn't really work out well for me. And, Mm. uh, and so we, we started doing like our senior project for high school and I had to choose something to do my senior project on. And I really wanted to fly. Mm. And so I started doing some research and found the Mission Aviation Fellowship and was like, oh my gosh, like I could, I could partner both of these things that I, that I really love ministry or the idea of ministry, you know, at that point and, uh, and flying. And, and my girlfriend at the time who, who later became my wife, um, was going to be a nurse. And I thought, man, like we could be like a pilot and a nurse and we could fly off into the bush. And like I had these big, beautiful dreams of amazing ministry and flying around the world. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I went to Northwest Nazarene University mm-hmm. and, uh, and got my undergrad in theology from the School of Theology and Christian Ministry, mm-hmm. uh, minor in leadership. My wife got her um, degree in nursing and we bought a little house in Nampa Aww. and uh, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And Mission Aviation Fellowship decided they were going to move their world headquarters to Nampa, Idaho, which was like obviously a sign from God that we were in the right spot. And so she kind of got a job um, doing the nursing thing in Mm -hmm. Nampa. And I started working in a movie theater, making $5 and 50 cents an hour with a bunch of high school kids Mm -hmm. as my bosses. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just kind of waited for Mission Aviation Fellowship. And that's kind of when the economy crashed. And Mm -hmm. like, man, I don't know when that was 2006, Mm -hmm. 2007, around there. We just bought our house they decided, hey, we're not, we don't have the funds to do our flight school, which is what we were waiting for. Mm. And so they moved their offices and it, we were just kind of in this holding pattern. Mm. And I got a call from the guy who was the senior pastor of the church that we grew up at. Mm. And he said, hey, we're looking for a, uh, somebody who wants to come and do children's ministry and your name has come up. And um, what do you think about coming back interviewing for this? And I thought, that is the worst idea I have <laughs> ever heard in my life. I have no desire to be in ministry, um, in like traditional church ministry. Mm, yeah. And, okay. uh, and so he pulled the, he pulled the classic card of, Hey, why don't you pray about it? And, sure. uh, and so, you know, I got off the phone and I went to, to talk to, um, my wife at that point, we'd gotten married and, and we made the mistake of actually praying about it. And really we were like, okay, like, oh my gosh, this could be it. Like there's, everything's on pause here in Nampa. Mm. All of our families back there, you know, we wanted to have kids. Like this could be a great way to do this stuff. And, mm. and uh, so we put our house up for sale and decided, you know, Hey, uh, mid-December of that year, we're going to, whether the house sells or not, we're going to move back and we're just going to do this thing on faith. And mm. um, our house did not sell. We ended up living oh. with her grandparents for I think 10 months. In, uh, yeah. And that was, that was fun because the the market had just completely collapsed. Sure. Yep. And so we were making house payments, living, uh, you know, in a tiny spare bedroom in her Mm. grandparents' house. Um, she was working nights and we slept in a double bed with a footboard and, and again, being six, seven, like a footboard and a double bed just does not work at all. It was, it was miserable. Um, but we made it through the house finally sold, (laughs) 
a place. Uh, they brought me on full time as the children's oh. pastor, and it was a blast, man. We mm. we loved it. It was so much fun, and the kids were off the hook, and I got to just be goofy and silly and um, do all kinds of fun ministry things and make it up as I went because mm. I didn't know at all what I was doing. Mm. Um, but it was really fun. It was it was a really good. Um, it was a good stretch of time to be on a, a, a big church staff and everybody had these giant goals. And, you know, mm-hmm. I got to collaborate with uh, the middle school pastor and the high school pastor mm-hmm. and do all of this different stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I learned a ton, which was, um, man, it was a blessing. It was, it was, it was wonderful. Mm. I love that. Um, so, so what, how, how long were you there? What, what happened after that? Man, I think we were there for, I think six or seven years. I'm I'm pretty bad with Dan with dates and numbers. My my Crystal would be able to tell you all of this stuff uh, in, in in detail. Um, but it kind of got to the point where, um, man, I felt like I was just spinning my wheels, um, doing as much as I possibly could as the children's pastor, and um, and just like I, we just weren't seeing any growth at all, mm. um, and. It was that that church has um, has a long, deep history, and um, when you're trying to honor that history and also do something new and different, it can be uh, it can be a, a, a huge challenge. Sure. And, and we definitely were running across a lot of those challenges and a lot of those roadblocks, and um, yeah. and a lot of people that just did not see the the need or the value. Um, and, and, and even those, but more rare, uh, were those that just saw it as dangerous or, or a waste of money, mm. all the stuff we were trying to do. And so the middle school mm. pastor and myself, um, we had made a couple of trips back East to a couple of different conferences. We had been following a lot of the churches that seemed to just be thriving at that time. And so we'd gone back to see Andy Stanley and we'd done the drive conference multiple times. We're like, man, like we, we should be able to do this. And Mm -hmm. uh, we got this stupid idea that we were going to plant a church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say stupid because we just didn't know, like we had no idea like what that would entail and, and the level of sacrifice and work. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we had been looking at it through rose colored glasses. And so we, we got this great idea that, Hey, what if we just kept doing our jobs for, and while doing that, we could begin this new community that was going to be a completely different focus. Um, it hit on a, a totally different group of people that, um, so we kind of worked this all out with our senior pastor at the time and had this big grand plan of we were going to slowly build this new community and while maintaining our jobs and use a lot of the stuff that we were learning and trying and figuring out stuff that worked um, with and kind of this weird partnership thing. And, and so we had this grand plan. And, uh, and so the night that we were going to present it to the church board and have them sign off on it, and at least pitch it to them, right? Yeah. We, we got done pitching this thing to them and um, answering a, book, a bunch of questions. And it was kind of the, all right, now, hey, we're going we're gonna to dismiss you all and um, head back to your offices and we'll talk about this and we'll let you know kind of what, what we've decided or, mm-hmm. or what route we're, we're willing to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, man, we thought we, we crushed that thing. And we went back to, to my office and hung out there and, and uh, just kind of started dreaming about all of the possibilities of, mm-hmm. of what this could look like. Um, if we didn't have to worry about raising money 
to feed our families and that kind of stuff if we had full-time jobs but also had the ability to go off and, and do some stuff yeah and uh and so an hour went by and two hours went by and three hours went by and it was Ooh. like 11 30 and the janitor came in and was like hey man like you guys are the last ones in the building uh can you just lock up and set the alarm when you're done and we were like well, what we're the last ones in the like everybody's gone home the church board nobody's here he's like no they left they left hours ago <laughs> we're like wait what Oh no. So we uh like I, like I called the executive pastor and I was like, "Hey, like what what happened, man? Like we're sitting in my office waiting for word to come down on our future. Like what did you guys decide?" He said, "Hey, um some stuff came up that um we um the board wasn't prepared for. Um when you guys left, uh our senior pastor resigned." And like just a ton of bricks came crashing down. And, uh, and from that point on, like we knew everything had just changed. Yeah. Um, so we met with the church board, uh, you know, a week or two later and we were like, all right, Hey, if we need to take a pause on this thing, that's fine. We get it. Everything has changed. Yep. And, uh, but they were super supportive and they were like, you know what, we want you to move forward. We believe in you guys. Like we mm. see value and potential in this. And, mm. um, so let's keep going. And, mm. uh, and as if nothing had changed, like we're, we're behind you hundred percent. Okay. Wow. Hey, that's great. So we moved forward and they started calling different pastors and doing mm. interview stuff. And, um, and, and the entire time there was this, um, th there was conversations going on with the church board of like, Hey, like we understand this is a really volatile time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we obviously want to make sure that we're not uh, going to get thrown under the bus. And so you guys are going to pick somebody that's on board with this plan. And if not, let us know. And we'll, we'll put this thing on pause and we'll shelve it for a while until mm -hmm. everything settles down. We have the new person mm -hmm. and no, you know, so they, it was two or three meetings that we had with them, like as a church board of just, um, no, we're hundred percent behind you. We want this thing to continue. Let's, let's make this happen. And so we did, we launched, um, in September of 2012 and, um, the new senior pastor came in the next week and was just not a fan at all of church plants. Uh, it was just a hard no from the beginning. So we, we launched, in fact, the, the Sunday that we presented this to the church congregation, um, and I were going to get up and we we're going to do this big presentation. And, uh, my wife went into labor with our twins and our twins were born that day, which was really exciting, but, um, a lot up in the air, right? So sure. 2012 was a rough year for us. Mm. Um, we launched, man, it was like the first or second, I think it was the second Sunday of, of September, um, lost his position. Uh, he was fired, I think a month in, and I was fired a month after that. And, um, the church gave us like, Hey, here's like six months severance. And, um, and you can use one of the rooms in the building. Um, but then you guys are going to need to find somewhere else to go. And so that was really rough. So I got a job, um, waiting tables and uh, trying to support, you know, our three boys and, and Crystal, who was working as a nurse, which, man, if she didn't have a job, like we would have been just hosed. Yeah. Um, and then I got on part-time with Young Life mm -hmm. and just loved Young Life, man. Their ministry 
was it, it was the most fun I had had in ministry in a long, long time. Mm. And we continued uh, running the church plant and it was exhausting. Uh, Three jobs, um, never home. And when I was home, you know, I was trying to help Crystal take care of the twins and and our um, our oldest, Wyatt, who was two and a half when the twins were born. And there was just a lot going on. I don't remember a whole lot of that season of life, uh, unfortunately, because those are some magical years with your kids. And I just don't remember any of that. Mm. And so... um, the church plant obviously did not go well. Mm. Uh, we kind of were hamstrung from the first and it slowly petered out. Um, I think it was December of 2013. Mm. And, uh, and so I took over all of the aspects of, uh, of the church plant at that point mm. in that summer, I think it was July. Um, we merged in with another church plant that had been launched from a couple of years prior to us. And uh, we we just brought all of our people in and it was wonderful. And I was more than ready to be done with church. I was just, Mm -hmm. I was exhausted and burnt. Mm -hmm. And um, the lead pastor of the church that we joined in with, we had been on staff together years before. And then they, they launched and it was great. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and who was the, the senior pastor, one of my favorite people in the world, kind of like a, um, like a great big brother who knows everything that you should know and sometimes has to hit you upside the head with a two by four to get you to see straight. Um, but does it lovingly, mm-hmm. uh, somehow convinced me to become his, uh, his assistant pastor, uh, slash associate slash executive, though I should never be in any position of executive because of numbers and I just don't get well, get along well at all. Um, and so we, we partnered up and, hired me um, part-time and I continued doing young life for a bit. Um, and, and I got to stop waiting tables, which mm. was uh, wonderful Good. and um, kind of partnered for four years, I think. Wow. And he uh, decided to make a change a few years ago and jumped in with the United States Navy and became a chaplain, which was awesome for him. And uh, was wonderful, but kind of sent into that typical Nazarene pattern of the senior pastor leaves and everybody resigns and no one knows what's going to happen. And during the time when I was looking for a pastor, uh, it was a a constant running joke that everybody wanted me to take the lead. And I was not ready for that at all. Mm. Had no desire to jump in to be the senior guy and didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And somehow... I got tricked into doing it and um, had a, a very positive vote from the congregation and um, got off and running there and took lead. We were in the process of <clears throat> trying to find a permanent building. We'd been renting a, a historic theater downtown for mm. a couple of years and our lease was running up. And so we'd done a big building pledge and we had uh, like a quarter million dollars or something in the bank in cash. And we're trying to find, a place that we could either buy and renovate or do a long-term lease mm-hmm. and um, kind of make our own space mm-hmm. instead of renting a place for, you know, the Sundays and and maybe a little bit of office space. Mm-hmm. And our, I became the lead pastor of in December. Our lease was up April 1st, which was, I think of that year, that was Easter. And we just didn't have a space. And we came down to like, 
literally three days before being out uh, of the theater and got a call from a buddy of mine who was working some custodial stuff and was the facilities manager of what used to be a church in town and had been taken over by a nonprofit. And he said, hey, we've got space, but you'll have to move to Sunday nights. And it's on the other side of town. But if you need it, it's yours. And we were running, I don't know, like 110, 120 people at that point. And the sanctuary that we were moving into could hold 700. And so we were just swallowed up in this giant space. And it was Mm. the old school 1994 flower print on the pews Mm -hmm. and um, built for a giant choir. You know, the stage Mm -hmm. was and had risers and um, and we did our best. We had a little 10 by 10 closet that we could store all of our band equipment and children's ministry equipment. And it was set up and tear down again. And it was very tiring for this group of people that had been doing that for, uh, for 10 years at that point, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every week, you know, pulling the carts out and setting stuff up and, we didn't have to do it out of a trailer anymore, which was great, but it was still exhausting to, yeah. to do that three hours before every service and then another hour and a half after and clean all the bathrooms. And mm. um, it was rough. Yeah. And then COVID hit and oh. that was super fun. Um, we could not work out a deal with the um, owner of the building who wanted us to continue to pay rent for a space that we couldn't use because had locked everything down Mm. and we just couldn't afford thousands and thousands of dollars a month in rent uh, that we couldn't use. So we went all online and we started um, streaming services from um, my family room Mm. and uh, Crystal got to be my co-host, which was really fun. And we had a couple of uh, a few couples that stepped up and, and really, made it um, survivable, but we definitely were in survival mode, uh, like everybody was during COVID, right? I mean, it was just freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the guys, uh, one of our volunteers had run a video production company for years and was like, hey, I, I know how to do this. I know lighting, video and audio. And um, another one of our guys was uh, is in the VM business, uh, virtual computing and all kinds of crazy stuff. And he has wicked good internet at his house. And he's like, well, Hey, I mean, if you throw everything to me, we can put it together here and we can send it off up to the, up to the cloud and do all the magic stuff of the internet. Mm-hmm. And so the, the guy that ran this, uh, video production company and, and then kind of became my right hand guy during COVID, um, put all this computer stuff into his uh, little mini Winnebago and would drive over to, uh, Taos every single week and mm. plug in via, uh, cat five cable. And it was, I mean, it was just this bonkers, crazy production, wow. um, it did allow me to, for a short time, fulfill one of my dreams of being a late night talk show host, which was hey. really fun. Um, who doesn't want to be Stephen Colbert? And uh, so, yeah, that was uh, that was crazy. We ended up getting like a little um, studio space downtown Salem mm-hmm. and uh, decided to spend some of that quarter million dollars on creating a studio to do something different that nobody else was doing mm-hmm. and created what what I think was one of the most well-produced and, uh, and fun little church services that was streaming online during COVID, um, all out of this little weird 
um, right below a parking garage. And we tore out all the carpet and we laid hardwood floors and we hung lights and did, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And the people that we had that uh, jumped in, I will be forever grateful to, mm-hmm. but it was, it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a lot like everybody in, in during COVID mm-hmm. um, and still for some of us, mm-hmm. it was, it was draining. And, um, and, and just before COVID had hit, when we were at the community center in this giant sanctuary and doing the setup and teardown thing again, um, Crystal and I had begun talking about um, just the massive toll that ministry, especially ministry alone, mm. was taking on, uh, on me personally, uh, emotionally and spiritually and, and had gotten to the point where it was physical as well. Mm. And, um, and, but, but more important than that, the, the toll that it was taking on our family. Yeah. And um, the time that I was missing out on my boys and the fact mm. that we just, I would never get that time back. Um, and they would never get that time with me, mm. which was the the worst part. Like I, I'm, I'm all about self-sacrifice and self-sacrificial love. Um, but they were missing out on having a dad a lot because when you run a small church um, and everybody's volunteer, anytime anybody wants to meet with you, it's, it's evenings, it's weekends, it's, um, it's all of that stuff. And so not only do you have the regular pastoral stuff of your phone's always on and you're always waiting for that call to come in, but um, then it's board meetings and it's ministry team meetings and it's coffee with this person who really needs to talk about something. And all of that is done when mm. Crystal's off work and she can take care of the boys. And so I'm gone. And right. like the family thing just was, um, was not working well. Yeah. So April um, of last year, you know, COVID was still going strong and we had the studio thing going. And I thought, man, like if we can just get through this and, and maybe the, the market for real estate will, will crash and we could be the terrible vultures that come in and we can have a building um, and it doesn't have to be so hard anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really just never panned out um, the dream that for years um, never came to fruition Mm -hmm. and the people were getting more and more exhausted and I was getting more and more exhausted. Um, And that, that natural creativity that you always want to have in ministry where you wake up in the mornings and you think, man, like I've got so many things that I want to try and different things I want to do. And um, that just hadn't been there for a long time for me. And so um, for Crystal's birthday uh, this last summer, in July, we had gone over to a fun little town that we've got here and that she absolutely adores. And we'd gone over for the day and we'd had a, had a blast and had a, a wonderful dinner. And, and we were driving back um, to town, going over the mountains, and we got into a, a, a real conversation like you do um, with your spouse. And I remember she said to me, I wish that we could go to a but you didn't have to be the pastor. Um, it's just too much. And that was the moment when I realized, um, it was time to make a move and I had to do something else. And so we started talking very seriously about what it would look like if I was no longer in the ministry, Mm. we had to, we had to figure out, um, if we were, if we were more called to this community that we had both grown up in and that we had been doing ministry in for 15 or 16 years, um, or if we were more committed to the denomination and we needed to pack up our family and go wherever the denomination would send us. Mm. 
And for us, that was a no brainer. It was, there was no question whatsoever um, that we were, that we were committed to this community and these people. Mm. Um, and the denomination was going to have to take uh, a backseat. Yeah. And so then we did the whole, like, all right, well, we still need to eat every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and what am I going to do for a career? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started looking at all the things that I loved about pastoring and the things that I was good at, uh, my natural wiring. Um, many of us in ministry look to those who are numerically and financially as uh, what it means to be a pastor and what success looks like. Um, and I had tried to be a pastor that um, looked a lot different than my natural wiring and therefore exhausted myself a lot trying to be something that I wasn't. Mm. And uh, so I finally started looking at what I actually was and, and, and the man that God had designed me to be mm. um, and started to play around with what that would look like if I used those natural talents and the things that I was good at and the things that brought me joy and energy and got me excited to wake up in the morning. Um, and for me, that ended up being teaching. And so I started playing around with um, different conversations with people of what does it look like to be a full-time pastor that's devoted your life to uh, full-time ministry and then letting that go and doing something else that's mm-hmm. just, just as big and, and oftentimes for people just as tiring and exhausting uh, as teaching. Um, and turns out one of my good friends from college had made the move um, five years before and um, had walked that path. And I, I called and I said, Hey man, I've told maybe three people that I'm, I'm seriously considering this and, and I need your wisdom. I need to know what this looks like. Is it worth it? What are the hurdles that I need to, to overcome? Are they any landmines that I need to watch out for? And, mm-hmm. um, and, and is this, is this good for my family? Mm-hmm. Is this something that will fix the problem that I've run into and I can't get over, or is this just going to be another hurdle that I have to make a, a change from in a couple of years? And uh, after a long and incredibly life-giving conversation, um, it became very clear that this was exactly what I needed to do. Uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, we started walking the path. I uh, filled the, the church board in, which was devastatingly hard uh, mm-hmm. to kind of drop this bomb on these people that had been helping me so much and had given so much and sacrificed so much for yeah. you know, quote unquote, my ministry, which it, you know, it never is, but it oftentimes feels like as a pastor. Mm. And, um, and then I had to walk away from ministry mm. and it was, uh, <laughs> it was soul crushing. It was incredibly, incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, and we had our last service, um, as a church because the church board had to make that decision of, okay, we're in, we're in COVID. We have no idea what's coming around the corner. We don't have a building. Um, our, our volunteers are absolutely exhausted. Mm. Um, and do we try and call another pastor to take this over and breathe life into us and, um, and, and, and continue doing this? Mm. And, um, and I, I had this sick feeling that they were going to close the church when I uh, resigned. And so I did, excuse me, everything that I possibly could before filling anybody in to make sure that was set up um, to the best of my ability 
to continue on without me and, and to call that next pastor and to have a successful, thriving future. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I wasn't the guy that was going to be able to do that for him. Mm-hmm. And so um, when, I, when I finally announced to the church board, they had many, many conversations um, after that, that fateful evening. And then uh, they had to make the choice. Uh, are we going to continue? Is this something that we want to, uh, want to do? Do we want to call somebody in? Um, and ultimately, they chose not to. And um, that was hard to make peace with that. Yeah. Um, so especially after coming off of a, a church plant that didn't, didn't work, mm-hmm. um, and then coming into a church and a community that I loved so much and that had given so much to our family and had been such a place of, um, of healing and restoration um, for us after such a hard, difficult um, time in ministry. And then to see it slowly die was just brutal. Um, and what a contrast to like, I, I feel like in ministry when a pastor is like taking so much on and they're thinking about pivoting and you're just like, dude, you know, ministry keeps going on without you. Like you're not the be all end all of this church. Like you know, blah, 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 ego trip, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like for you though, that's real. Like your concern that the church might not continue on past your tenure there is like a real problem, like, like a real concern. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the great news about, about the congregation that we had, that this group of people, um, <laughs> I, I have, I've never been a part of a community that I loved so much and felt so a part of, which was beautiful. Mm. Um, but I was never, I, I was never at the end of it. I was never concerned about any of their salvations ever. Mm. Mm. It was never an issue. Um, and, and because of the unfortunate circumstances that we found ourselves in with, with COVID and lack of building and, you know, all of the stuff, it was almost um, when I looked at it with the most positive possible lens, it was as if I was giving all of my volunteers that had been sacrificing so much and giving so much. Um, it was like I was giving them the gift of rest mm. that you you don't have to struggle next to me so much anymore. Yeah. Let's, let's all take a breath mm. Um and I knew that, that all of these people, wherever they ended up landing uh, in a church family, were going to be a massive, massive gift to that congregation. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that's a beautiful thing to be able to do. Um, I was sad that, that the, the congregation of was no more, but those people are uh, phenomenal wherever they end up and under whatever pastor or logo or um, denomination that they find themselves in, they're going to be huge players, uh, in the ministry of those churches. And and that's a great thing. Um, but I also recognize that they all desperately needed rest. Mm. Um, and they just weren't going to get it if continued. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, so let me back up the, the story a little bit and kind of ask you, when was the first time that you thought that you might not end up staying in the church of the Nazarene? (laughs) What a funny little question. Um, 
man, growing up at Church of the Nazarene, um, we were we were the church that didn't really have any friends on the district because we were so big. If we went to any district event, uh, you kind of just took over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so we just didn't go to church events uh, or district events at all uh, with youth groups or, or any of that stuff. And so uh, even when I became a pastor, we just didn't really do a whole lot of district stuff. And so my Nazarene roots were really shallow Mm -hmm. other than theologically, Mm -hmm. um, which um, was very helpful and and a place that I I deeply love. Mm -hmm. Um, The district roots that I had were always shallow. Mm. Um, And so it was never something that I needed to go see a therapist about, uh, after leaving, you know, quote unquote ministry, because I was so bought into the Nazarene, um, denomination. And so that wasn't a really difficult thing. I remember sitting in my first district assembly fit district when I was a children's pastor and just looking around and thinking like, what the heck are we doing? Like, Mm. what is this? This is the weirdest thing ever. Well, spell that out. What did you mean by that? Well, so for, and you know, this is mid 2000s, like so 2006, seven, maybe eight, I don't know, around there. I'm, sure. Again, I'm bad with dates. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember <clears throat> it being billed to our people as like a great ministry outreach event and like bring your neighbors and bring your friends and it's going to be fantastic. And um, and I was like, wow, like, okay, this is going to be pretty cool. I hadn't been to one of these before. Mm. And uh, I remember I remember showing up and uh, there's just suits and ties everywhere. And we're singing all of these old school hymns and we're doing the business of voting. And I thought like, I'm so glad I didn't invite anybody to this thing because this is the worst. <laughs> um, and And that was kind of the point where I realized like, we don't actually know what we're doing. Mm. We, we, we call ourselves evangelicals, but we don't know what it means to actually be out with real people and deal with real issues and help them meet a real Jesus. Mm. Um, and so that, that was kind of the moment where either my Nazarene roots were going to go really deep and I was going to jump all in and I was going to go back, you know, we were going to do, man, was all about all the conferences and stuff and just loved messing around with all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and so I was either going to jump in really deep with that, or I was just going to barely stay on the surface of our denomination. And, uh, and that really sealed the deal for me that um, as, as great as the denominations can be, um, this was not something that I was going to be super passionate about, but then becoming a church planter, and, um, and then the lead pastor of a small church on a district um, and, and desperately needing help, desperately needing people to bounce ideas off of and to lift me up and to, um, and, and to work side by side with, mm. I just didn't get that from the district. Um, mm. It was, you know, the, Hey, like we, we need a building. Like I, and I don't know what, I don't know what else to do. Like I've done everything that I know what to do help. Yeah. And the help that I got was, Hey, we're praying for your brother. And that's just not helpful. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that might be a, a <laughs> theologically terrible thing to say, mm. but the practical level of actual help I received mm. um, was laughable. 
Mm. Um, and, and that was really hard. Uh, Very little like tangible support. <clears throat> yeah. The, 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 the tan- other than the ability that they had a great printer and we could go print stuff at the district office, that was really helpful and cool. Um, and, and the individual people of the quote unquote uh, district staff were incredible. Like I loved all of the people, mm. but as an actual helpful entity, mm-hmm. it just wasn't. Mm. And, um, and it was, it was just frustrating to, to be in on the meetings and to talk about all of the cash that we had on hand and all of the investments and all the stuff and, and thinking like, I am in desperate need of help. Yeah. And I've, I, I've asked for, I don't know how else to ask for help. And um, thanks, but no. Um, and, and then there was the, the entire, and I, don't, I don't know how much we're allowed to get into politics here, Britt, but the 2016 election was a freaking train wreck. Mm. Uh, it, I've never been so disappointed in Christianity as a whole, mm-hmm. um, but particularly our denomination for an absolute lack of, there just was no spine or teeth behind anything that we said. All of the statements that came out were as bland and boring and, and, and oatmeal as you could possibly get. Um, and like we needed leadership. I needed someone to back me up when I would say Christians don't do this. Yeah. And the denomination just wasn't there. It's like, well, you know, I mean, you do your thing. And I was specifically told by don't jump into anything. Don't say anything. Take no stand. Mm-hmm. You be as neutral as you possibly can and just mm-hmm. preach scripture as if nothing was going on in the world. And I just mm-hmm. couldn't do that. It was incredibly difficult i can imagine Um, as like on a west coast context that that is even like a bigger deal holy smokes yeah i mean uh, the northwest is not a a bastion of conservative evangelical christianity um and so the little pockets that we do have we try and hold on to really tightly um and when you are in desperate need of eating every day and you know that your paycheck comes from making sure you don't piss people off you can't talk. You can't say anything. Mm. Um, and when you do and people leave, it's really, really hard, yeah. both financially, mentally, emotionally. Mm. I mean, even spiritually, it was, it mm. was rough. Mm. And then COVID hit. And again, nothing from the top. Mm. It's the, well, you do whatever you think is best for your congregation and you know your people best. I'm like, millions of people are literally dying and you can't tell me that yes we you have our full support if you want to mandate masks like well, uh, okay yeah it was um it was disappointing to say it politely mm. i i was very disappointed in our denomination for not standing up and doing or saying anything that was rough. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I don't. I don't yeah. know. Uh, that wasn't yeah. the first time that I had a problem with uh, with the <laughs> no, denominational no, stuff. Um, but. So tell me. So you kind of mentioned the the calculus there of like, do we stick with our community or do we stick with this like 
international family of faith to dig into that a little bit deeper. Like I, I can imagine that the, that once you're in it, that that decision was like pretty clear. Um, but I'm just curious from your perspective, like, tell me about that. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I, I have found that (laughs) it was interesting when, when I was waiting tables, uh, when we were planting the church and, uh, I hadn't been in a quote unquote real job in a long time, right. Since probably college, um, outside of ministry, when you're dealing with people who are just not believers and, um, the year and a half, maybe two years, I don't know, dates again, that I, uh, that I was waiting tables. Mm -hmm. I felt like I did more real, honest to God ministry, Mm -hmm. um, doing that than I had in all the rest of my ministry combined. What Um, do you mean by that? Unpack that. So I, I've baptized a lot of people. Um, I've, I've prayed with a ton of people. I've done a ton of weddings. I've done a few funerals because man, those just aren't as fun as weddings, are they? Sure. Um, but the vast majority of people that I dealt with, um, that I came in contact with, that I got to, to do ministry with um, in the church world would have found another pastor. They would have found another church. They would have, um, because they were looking for it, they would have gone anywhere. And it didn't have to be me, Mm. Um, but they came to me because I just happened to be at this organization, at this building. Mm. Um, But when I was waiting tables, when I was, when I was joking around with the the wait staff in the back break room or, or with the cook staff or having conversations uh, at my car after we had closed the shop down and, um, and you had people dealing with real issues that were not looking for a pastor that weren't going to a church and wouldn't have, mm. um, I was, I felt like I was actually out with real people doing real stuff mm. as opposed to waiting for somebody to come to me who could have gone to anybody else and would have gone to anybody else had I not been there. Mm. Um, but without me in that spot, they would not have found Jesus. They would not have been comforted. There would have been no hope given mm-hmm. or, um, or, or forgiveness bestowed yeah. that that would not have happened. And so when I say real ministry, I mean, ministry that would not have taken place had I not been in that spot and God connecting these dots that wouldn't have been connected otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, man, that was a magical thing to experience. That was something that, um, I didn't, I didn't feel, and it's not about feelings, uh, obviously, but it, it just felt very, very different. It felt mm. far more real and organic and I don't know, whatever fancy words I'm supposed to use for that. Mm. Um, but man, it was, you know, walking into to people's lives when they don't feel like they have to put on a mask to show you who they are because they've walked through a church building and they can, they can drop F-bombs and they can just vent to you and they can weep in your arms. I mean, it was, yeah, it was raw. It was cool. It was very interesting. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. So I'm curious about the, the me- mechanics. I mean, did you, did you have a journey of like something, something credentials as you um, severed 
ties or whatever, however you yeah. want to. <clears throat> yeah. So when, when I started walking down this path, I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had somebody that I could go to on the district and say, Hey, help me figure this out. Like I'm, I'm burning out. I'm exhausted. My family doesn't know who I am. Um, I don't want to leave, but I don't know how else to do this. Um, those are those conversations that you, you should be nervous to have with your boss (laughs) because as soon as they know things are not well, um, they've got to pull some levers and do some things that, you know, to protect their butt and the mm. district and your church and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And so you, you, you find, you find that you have to suffer in silence mm. and loneliness yeah. until it gets to the point where you don't have a choice. Mm. And, uh, and then you've got to pull a trigger. And once you pull that trigger, there's no going back. Right. And, um, not really a great, you know, just a side tangent, not a great model, uh, to make sure people are healthy, but it is what it is. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I got to the point where I was like, Hey, I, I have to, I have to do this. And, uh, I'd had multiple conversations. Um, my best friend had, had jumped out of the Nazarene denomination, um, not too long ago and had jumped in with the United Methodists and had found a home there theologically. Both of us had tried to, we had this, um, I more than him because I'm a, I'm a natural optimist and he is far more realistic than I am. But I've always had this idea that if you stay in the system, you'll have a far greater impact on changing the system. Mm. And the only way to really make long lasting, solid change to a system that you love, which I, I love our denomination, although my roots don't go super deep. I, I am, I'm a big fan. Mm. Um, I think that to do the best job of helping it grow into what it could and should be, you need to be inside the system to do that. Sure. Um, but it got to the point where I, I just couldn't stay anymore. Exhaustion and, and everything else and, and just kind of watching what we were doing theologically, steps that we weren't taking and, um, and, and debates that we were raging on that the rest of the world was like, really? Like that's, that's what you care about. That's what you're going to argue about the worth and value of a person based on their sexuality. Like that's the hill you're going to die on. Mm. Um, and I had moved past that years and years before. Um, and so I thought, Hey, you know, if I could stay in, I could help you a part of this conversation, but you kind of need to get deep into the Nazarene junk in order to have a voice. And mm. I was barely surviving as it was. And yeah. Um, so it, it got to the point where despite really wanting to help our denomination grow into what it should be. Mm. Um, I had to make the call. And so I called the district zone leader uh, who was in charge of kind of our zone. And I had a conversation with her and and just say, here's what's going on. I'm exhausted. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I've asked for help. I don't get any help. Um, And, and I, and I think it's time for me to, to jump and uh and do something else and see what god has out there and she um to her credit was like hey listen i I care more about you than i care about you know the church and all that stuff and and it was it was a great conversation it went as good as it as it could have gone is this Um, before or after you talked to the church board sorry that's this is before okay this is before um and so the advice that she gave was don't talk to anybody at the church like literally nobody um, as soon as you do, like there's balls that have to start rolling and, and it's just gonna, it's going to be rough. So don't talk to anybody. 
until you make the announcement to the board. And then once you do that, then, you know, there's this whole process and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I am wired to be a relational person. Um, I think that that is the, the greatest way that you can live your life is in relationship with others. And, Mm -hmm. and so as soon as the denominational levers started getting pulled and the timeline and, you know, you got to write this thing and send it over here and, you know, whatever. And, um, I felt like all of my relationships had to be put on pause and I wasn't allowed to actually talk to people and let them know what was going on. And, Mm. um, and so we, (laughs) I decided whether, whether it's wise or absolute idiocy that, um, I wasn't going to do that. I, I needed to have some conversations with people that had, Mm. that had been so instrumental and so close to me. Um, and, and my partners in ministry that just to kind of drop this bomb on them at a meeting that the district superintendent and the the zone leader were going to be at. And, you know, just this very like, and I've, you know, please read your resignation. And now we're going to dismiss you from this group. And we'll talk about it. Like, I don't want that to be the first time that people hear what's actually going on with me. Yeah, Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that was, that was what they wanted. And so I thought, you know what, Hey, there's, there's, they know about this far more than I've never done this before. There's gotta be a reason for this system. Um, there, there has to be wisdom in what they're asking of me, mm-hmm. but there's certain people I have to, I, I just have to have conversations with. Um, and so I had conversations with people and, and every, right, I'm telling you every conversation I had with anybody, um, it was just absolute relief and joy and excitement for mm-hmm. myself and my family mm-hmm. of the, I cannot believe you hung on this long please, for the love of everything, go do something that fills your soul. Go take a rest, take a break, go do whatever God wants you to do. We will be fine. Um, And it was, it was a magical week. I'm telling you, it was so, so life-giving to sit down and have these conversations with people and, and to drop this bomb on them. Like I felt like I was betraying them. And yet Mm. their, their response, every single response was, we've been praying that you would um, that you would come to this realization and, and do this next thing. Um, and that was wonderful. Right. Um, I also felt kind of stupid, like I should have done it a lot earlier, but it, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, we got to the board meeting and I, I wasn't able to have the conversation. I <sighs> schedules didn't line up and phone calls and that I didn't want to do it over phone or text. And um, anyway, I had, I had a couple of board members that just, I was not able to sit down with and um, turns out, yeah, that private conversation was worth its weight in gold and the very um, cold and calculated and corporate um, board meeting that followed was pretty terrible. It was awful. Um, that felt like betrayal. Um, oh. and, uh, and it was really rough. And I, I, burned, I burned some people in that. Um, and I, I will regret that for a long time. Mm. Um, and so uh, at that point, like uh, the ball started rolling. And um, it was odd. I, I never did hear from the district superintendent. Um, it was kind of the uh, n- not the ball in his court. Like, I, I don't know. It was really weird. Um, 
Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, you got a lot of stuff on your plate, you know, balls get dropped and that's fine. Um, but that was, that was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as the nitty gritty, that that's kind of how it went. Uh, just, it was a very, um, very rough, mm-hmm. <laughs> rough meeting. And I was, uh, I was dismissed after I gave my official resignation. Um, I got to answer a couple of questions like, man, it would have been nice to have a personal conversation before sitting at a board meeting to hear this for the first time, to which I said, yeah, how about that? Um, oh. And then from there, it was just uh, the district that met with the board and, hey, you guys got to decide if you want to call somebody, you want to close, great, sweet. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how it went. We had our last uh, service and I started uh, jumping into the substitute teacher pool the next morning and uh yeah, it was, it was something. Tell me, I mean, I know it's only been a few months when we're recording this, but what has God been doing in your life and ministry since, uh, you know, since that time, since that? Oh man. Um, a lot. Um, I'm, I'm learning how to rest, uh, despite my, my personal resistance to that. Mm. Um, I think that's going to be probably the the most important thing that I learned is it's okay to rest Mm. and to recharge. Um, I've been having fascinating conversations with people, Mm. um, uh, people that I work with, uh, fellow teachers, Mm -hmm. um, IAs, staff. And uh, again, I find myself in that quote unquote real world doing real ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Having conversations with people that uh, never would have gone and asked a pastor um, this stuff, but here I am and I'm not really a pastor anymore. I'm a teacher, but I know a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, man, deep theological questions, you know, theodicy and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun uh, just kind of watching as God seems to set up all of these little conversations and all yeah. of these interactions with students and um, our, our librarian. Um, I was getting a tour of the library my first week and she made a comment that, um, uh, that the first books that get checked out and never brought back every year are Bibles. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, that's, kind of weird. And she's like, yeah, I don't know how to take that. I don't know if that's students really want them. And so they just keep them or um, if it's that they take them and burn them. She's like, I don't know what to do with that, but we go through Bibles like crazy. And, uh, and so I was like, well, Hey, I've like, I might know a guy that has a couple of Bibles around. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I just, I just brought in a, a case of Bibles. Aww, um, keeping them stacked. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. So uh, she was like, yeah, unfortunately, I can't keep all of them because then I need, you know, that many Qurans and that many, you know, just all of the you know public school stuff. And Aww. so I keep them in my classroom and uh, back, you know, in the same cabinet that I keep my lunchbox. And um, I've got, you know, being an English teacher now, I, I, you know, the kids get to read and choose a book off the shelf. And um, I don't have any Bibles up on the shelf. But I've had a couple of kids that were like, hey, you don't have a Bible, do you? Nice. Um, 
And I was like, yeah, actually, I happen to have one. And so I've given out so many Bibles because they're like, okay, hey, here's this Bible back. And I'm like, nah, just keep it. Like, I don't, I don't need 36, you know, NIVs in my, yeah. in my, in my little locker. So beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. um, I have a, a, my, all of the teachers have to have a, um, a quote on their, uh, the little board that's outside the room that says, you know, Hey, Mr. Robinson, you know, English, what room number and, uh, and then a quote, right. And so everybody's choosing, you know, Tolkien stuff and Tolstoy and, you know, all the different things. And, and mine is, uh, is Tom, uh, uh, Dr. Thomas J. Ord. And, uh, so that's, that's been fun. I love so, it. Yeah. Um, well, do you know the quote off the top of your head? Cause I'm, now I'm curious. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's the question that revolutionized my life, uh, when I was doing my undergrad at NNU and, uh, taking senior theology from Tom. And, uh, it was, it was, it's the question that bounces around, bounces around in my head mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the most loving thing that you can do right now? Mm. And for me, that, uh, that encapsulates uh, Christianity. Mm. It is the number one thing that we're called to do. And, uh, and I get to have that as the first thing that students see when they walk into my room, which is pretty cool. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious, a couple of like closing, like follow-up type questions. Um, how might the church of the Nazarene made a more like hospitable place for you and your ministry in our, in our midst, in our denomination. That's a good question. Um, because I wasn't super deep in the Nazarene world, um, and all the politics and everything that goes on. Um, I don't really know how to answer that. Well, I know that practical help would have been, dare I say helpful, Um, real clear, definitive leadership on the big ticket items that, that we as pastors are dealing with um, questions that our people have and, Mm. um, and just more of a, a strong centralized vision for who we are and what we need to do and the people Mm. that we need to become would have been great instead of a lot of the super generic, let's try not to piss anybody off. And, but we need to say something or we'll get in trouble for not saying something. So let's say something without actually saying anything. So Mm. nobody can get angry with us. Mm. Um, You know, like the refugee crisis, like, I mean, okay, we should love our neighbor. Great. Now what? Um, That kind of stuff was really, really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, Britt, I'm, I don't know if I'm far enough away yet to look back with any level of, uh, of wisdom. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, uh, you have to be away from something long enough to have good, solid time to process all of it. And I just mm-hmm. haven't had that yet. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to give you any bogus garbage, uh, made up wisdom, yep. but I will say the one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that would be incredibly helpful is for the denomination to remember its job is to help pastors mm. on the ground. Yeah. Practically pastoring alone is a soul crushing job. Mm. It is incredibly difficult mm. and um, to not have 
the practical means to continue doing what you do, but knowing that you have to do it anyway and mm. sacrificing everything you have for this thing. And then to have people say, hey, we're, we're thinking about you and praying about you and know that they have the ability to help, but then they don't mm. is decimating. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, is there anything you would like to kind of say any encouragement you might have, um, wisdom you might have for pastors that are still pastoring all of us millennials out here? Yeah. Well, I can tell you that being a guy who really had a deep passion for helping to change the denomination from the inside into Mm -hmm. what it, it could and should be, Mm-hmm. Um, and now being on the outside, it is a worthy effort and a noble calling to, to strive to make something that has the potential of helping to change the world into what it should be in order to accomplish that goal. That is a, that takes valor and honor mm-hmm. um, and is a beautiful thing. However, there is life outside of full-time ministry yeah. and, and there's ministry outside of full-time ministry. Yeah. Um, the, the ability of God to work and move in the world, but, but more mm-hmm. particularly in and through you has literally nothing to do with where you get your paycheck. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's a hard thing to see when you're deep in the trenches. Yeah, it, it really is. But I have, I have never enjoyed a job more than what I'm currently doing. Mm. I I am excited to wake up in the morning. Um, my first weekend uh, after taking a full time teaching position, I woke up at Saturday. You know, I, I get up about five thirty. And, uh, and I rolled over and I started uh, jotting down notes of all the stuff that I wanted to do and all these ideas and, oh my gosh, you know, what if we did this? And, um, and then I realized that it was Saturday and I was like, oh, dang. And it was the first time I was sad not to go to work. Um, it, was, it was great because I got to spend the day with my boys and my wife and we did all kinds of fun stuff. But, but I, absolutely love what I'm doing. And I feel like Mm. I was literally designed for it. Um, And I know that cognitively, you can know things like that, Mm. um, that there is life and there's ministry and like, yeah, I get that and whatever. Mm. Uh, It's another thing to experience it and Mm. to live it. Um, And it is, it is a wonderful thing. Mm. Uh, and, And I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade what I have now despite the level of pain and difficulty and trauma and um, hardship that it was to, to leave ministry. Yeah. As much as I loved it, Mm. um, it was time to go and that's okay. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. (sighs) Trevor, I, in as much as it is my, uh, you know, place to do it. I, I want to just like apologize for the way that we weren't there for you. I wish that you had felt seen and supported on your journey of ministry more, more than you did. Um, so yeah, I don't, I know that's no consolation probably, but, uh, I'm sorry for, for those ways in which this family of faith could have done more and should have done more for you on your journey. 
that is uh, appreciated. Uh, also not necessary. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, the, the, the great news is that I'm not the hero of the story and it's not all about me. And uh, I came out just okay. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine. And so um, ministry goes on and mm-hmm. the gospel continues. And mm-hmm. there are real people in the world who need real help. And uh, I'm just going to keep plugging away, trying to do my best to find them and love them the best I can. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're on that journey. Thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day to, to be here and to share your story. I really appreciate it. Hey, I am very, uh, very grateful to be able to uh, do a little free therapy with you. It's been very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm on winter break because I'm a public teacher now. There you so go. I got all the time in the world, baby. It's great. Oh, literally the opposite of a ministerial I, Christmas season. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, Britt. I'm telling you. Here, okay, so here's one final final weird thing that I've noticed. Oh, yeah, go um, on then, go on then. I, I had a couple of people that have left the ministry that warned me of something that I didn't know was going to happen. And uh, the funny thing is that after you've done ministry for so many years, um, your body has a, um, a practical and visceral reaction to Sundays. Mm. And so despite the fact that Saturday and Sunday are now my day off, my heart rate, my stress level, my digestion, uh, my sleep patterns, all of it is still very much, um, I would assume subconsciously attached to the rhythm of ministry. And so with Advent uh, going on right now, Mm. crazy stressed for no reason, literally Mm. no reason. I'm on break for two weeks with Mm. nothing to do, but play with my boys and date my wife and putter around my house and do woodworking Mm. um, and play the new Halo Infinite campaign. But um, put my stress levels off the hook. Um, Mm. Sundays roll around and and usually it's Saturday afternoon and my heart rate goes up Mm. and uh, my stress level and my brain can't shut off. And I'm feeling stressed despite the fact that I don't have anything to do. Um, and it's a weird thing. And, and I've heard any, anywhere from six months to three years, uh, for that to slowly go away. Um, yeah, it's, it is a bizarre thing. Mm. So, and we're not even attending church right now. Mm. Um, but I still feel that like uh, massive pressure and weight and, uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't have a sermon ready. What am I going to do? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So yeah. anybody who's listening to this and might be thinking about uh, jumping into a different form of ministry that doesn't uh, happen on Sundays, just be ready for that. I wasn't. It's weird. Mm. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, enjoy your continued ministry in the world. I will. Thanks for your time, Britt.
Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. I don't know when it happened, but at some point I decided I was no longer willing to lie about what hurts. My book, Signs of Life, is my witness of both my hurts and startling, unsettling, unexpected resurrection. This book is an honest telling of my journey with chronic mental health challenges, significant church hurt, and other wounds, and serves as my testimony to the dogged commitment of God to resurrection. You can grab a copy at a local bookstore or Barnes & Noble or Amazon. There are paperback, Kindle, or audiobook versions available. Find a free study guide for small group discussion at stephanielobdell.com. There is a link in the description if you would like to buy their book. Thank you for supporting your local millennial pastor slash author. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.